Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach. I've dedicated my life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the legendary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be here to help you be the best version of you that you can be. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it. Yo, what's up? It's Johnny. Johnny King, thank you for tuning in once again. And this uh, little disclaimer, this episode is going to be a little bit heavier of a topic, uh, but one that I have learned a lot from, and uh, it's just real and raw. Um, So if you are not in the mood to hear a story about tragedy, then stop listening now. Um. Many years ago, this was now a little over three years ago, um, I had made a a pretty good friend uh, in a 61-year-old who was into his second kind of career. He had had made a very good living delivering babies uh, here in Colorado, and he was now health coaching and helping people get healthier and lose weight and turn their you know, their habits and their thought around. And I was doing the same thing. We were working for a similar, you know, for the same company. And so we met at a, uh, at a convention, actually, even though we both lived in Colorado, we, we ended up getting matched up and sharing a room together. Um, and we very quickly created a, a very special friendship. And so whenever we would, um, you know, travel and go to these conventions throughout the years, we would always room together. And I looked up to him as very much kind of like, man, like, I want to become someone like you. He had an amazing relationship with his wife. He would call her every single night uh, to say goodnight and kind of share what was going on with the day and check in with her. Uh, He was very fit, very, very fit. Uh, He was into um, building rockets, actually. And he was studying at that point, uh, forget, gosh, um, like t- to get a degree in astrophysics or something like crazy. Like the dude was just brilliant, right? Um, now, I- I'm speaking to him about him in kind of past tense. And so if you're, you know, following along with this, you might have an idea of where this is going. Um, but we were, he had just fell in love with hiking at the age of 50. And so between the ages of, he had never hiked, uh, what they call here in Colorado, a 14er until he was 50 years old, roughly, I guess. Um, and a 14er is, there's like 52 of them, 54, it's kind of debatable here in the state of Colorado that are peaks that are, at least 14,000 feet in elevation or higher. And the, the saying goes is that there is no easy 14er, but there are certainly varying grades of them, right? Like there's one that, you know, you could probably fly in from out of town and go straight to Beerstadt and, you know, accomplish that one in a day. It's going to be very challenging, especially coming from, you know, um, sea level, but it's, it's doable. There's nothing technical about it. 
but the degrees of difficulty definitely go up when the the technical nature of climbing these mountains, you know, become more severe and more risky. And so we had, we had hiked a couple of 14ers together over the years and uh, he had invited me. He said, Hey, I'm going to go do this, this mountain called Long's Peak, um, which is pretty close. It's right on the front range. You can actually see it, you know, kind of on the, from the highway as you're driving to and from between Denver and Fort Collins. And he's like, Hey, I'm going to do Long's Peak would you like to come with me? And I was like, oh man, I'd really love to, but I've got this conflict. He's like, all right, that's cool. I'm, I'm going by myself anyways. So if you, you know, if anything should change, you want to join me, join me. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, lo and behold, um, my plans changed and I called him up. And I was like, Scott, let's do this, man. I'm, I'm psyched. But when I told people that I was doing it, the reaction was pretty much the same. People would be like, oh gosh, do you, do you know what you're doing? Or do you, are you going with anyone? I was like, yeah, yeah, why? And uh, so I looked up more of the route, and sure enough, it's, it's very hairy. It's, um, it's sketchy for sure. And there's a lot of exposed areas where you're right on like a, a ledge in many different guards, or you know, you, there's just no room for error. So you got to know what you're doing. Well, you know, I was banking on him because the guy had summited, or not summited, but at least... Um, you know, gone on almost nearly, I think he said he was on like 97 or 98, nearly 114er hikes between the ages of 50 and 61. He had uh, attempted, and actually he had attempted Long's Peak, uh, he said a dozen times, the time that we were going was like the, the, the 12th time, and he had summoned it like eight times, right? So I'm like, I felt pretty confident that A, uh, I had been on, you know, I'd probably hiked six or seven different 14ers in the first couple of years that I had lived in Colorado and B that he knew what he was doing and you know, all this stuff. And so <clears throat> we decided, uh, this, this is a very long hike. It's like a 14 hour hike or 16 hour hike. So we ended up, uh, I remember I woke up at like two thirty, one thirty, two thirty. 30, Drove north about an hour and I met up with him. Um, he picked me up and we drove another 45 minutes or an hour to the, the trailhead. And we, we kind of hit the trail about 3.30 a.m., right? And there's something special about, you know, hiking in the, in the pitch blackness of the Colorado Rockies. And, you know, we spent a lot of time just kind of quietly trudging along and every once in a while stopping for water, for food. And, you know, and then to see the sunrise and... We had all these amazing conversations, especially once the sun came up, we started being, you know, a little bit, I think we were both probably waking up at that point and, uh, just talking about, you know, astronomy and, um, you know, just various cool things. We talked about, uh, you know, getting up, uh, you know, hiking Everest, you know, and, and how we both geeked out about watching documentaries and things about Mount Everest and, and getting into the death zone and things like that. And, um, so, uh, to make a long story relatively short, um, we were, gosh, I don't know, six hours, six and a half hours into our hike. It was a little before 10 o'clock and we got, we were about 45, probably about an hour from the summit. And we got to the area that they call the narrows. And it literally is, um, 
it's hard to explain. You should, you should look it up, Google it if you want to, but it's, it's literally just like as wide as uh, of like maybe like a three foot wide uh, sidewalk. It's not a sidewalk. It's, it's obviously exposed rock, but it's just as like this little tiny ledge that just hangs out, <laughs> you know? And then, uh, just off to your right, you know, it just severely drops off and it's probably just hundreds of feet um, of a very, very uh, steep incline. So right before the Narrows, we took a break uh, because we had just come up a very difficult hour and a half long climb up through this kind of snow trodden kind of chute um, that was not in the sun a whole lot. So it was cold, it was snowy, it was treacherous. Um, we had our, our spikes on, um, but we weren't having to use, you know, ice, ice picks or anything like that. I wouldn't have even known how to use one, to be honest, um, other than just like a rudimentary, like (laughs) use of another type of anchor point. Um, but it was very, very early October. And so there was, you know, snow, there was ice. Uh, and as the sun was coming up, as soon as we came up to the narrows, we were in that, you know, in the shade for the last, like hour and a half, two hours, man, like just that, that warmth of that sun, especially in Colorado when you're up in elevation, it's so intense, but it felt so good. And we had some food and got some, some drink and, and we ventured off, um, kind of along this, the narrows, which is probably, gosh, I can't remember, probably two or 300 yards long, um, around it. And I had gotten, I was leading and I got to the point where you can't go any further uh, on the, on the ledge, you have to actually kind of like shimmy up this, um, kind of diagonal crack and you just kind of wedge your hands in there. And this is like the technical nature of this, you know, and, and you, like I said, you, you gotta be on your game. You gotta be aware of what you're doing cause there's no room for error. And I was above him by 10, 15 feet when I heard, heard him slip. And when I looked over my shoulder he had he had somehow fallen off the the ledge and was sliding down the the rock and then he went off the edge and I lost sight of him um I saw him a few times as he was falling um kind of just oh man it's tough to even talk about it now I haven't talked about it in a long time um just seeing him kind of like you know obviously bouncing off the, the, the rock wall, just tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. And then finally coming to a resting spot and the, you know, just the way that I could see, I mean, now I'm like 300 feet above him. I mean, he's way down there, right? Neither one of us were wearing helmets. Um, and he didn't move. Uh, I, 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 I seriously I uh, don't think that uh, I think he had passed before he even got down there just because of how violent that fall was. Um, but I, it's just me and him. And I'm like, you know, I, I've never had that experience. Um, I've had experiences of shock, you know, <laughs> in my life, like my dad calling me that my mom had passed away. Uh, the ex-wife picking me up from the airport saying she wants a divorce. Like those moments where you're like, this cannot be happening. <laughs> My dad coming out telling me that he was gay, right? Like your brain just can't compute because like life was just very different literally five seconds ago, right? And here I am sitting out here 
by myself and I'm like, oh shit, like that did not just happen, right? So I started yelling down to him, of course, no response. And there was a guy coming down from the top who I claim is one of my angels, Riley. And uh, he was like, hey man, where'd your partner go? And so he, he was climbing down and, and he had seen us at one point, like making our way in his direction. He had already summited for the sunrise and was coming back down. And uh, he was like a mid 20 year old um, ex military guy. So he had, you know, some proficiency up in some technical, you know, areas that we were and, and, you know, felt comfortable in that. And I was like, he fell, he fell. And he's like, do you have your cell phone? I was like, I do, but I have no service. I was like, do you? And he's like, I do. So gratefully he called, um, you know, the mountain rescue. And I'm thinking again, like you and I, as I imagine, if, if you've lived in any type of city, like you call 911 and within a couple minutes, you've got people on the scene, right? So granted, I know we're out, uh, you know, in the middle, but I'm like, it's taking them like five minutes, 10 minutes. They're gathering information. They want to know all about him, all about me. And I'm like, stop asking the fucking questions. Get a helicopter up here now. You know, like I know time is of the fucking essence, part of my language, but I'm like getting pissed. But the interesting thing is to backtrack just a little bit. As soon as Riley starts getting on the phone and calling mountain safety or whatever you call it, um, I started getting dizzy because I like think I'm starting to go into shock, right? So I had to sit down and kind of secure myself because I'm still in a very kind of precarious position. Um, and then my mind is, you know, your mind is racing in that moment. Like what the hell just happened? And my mind is going into like, it's just literally trying to make meaning of something that is very difficult to grasp, right? And so my mind is like, what just happened? How could this have been avoidable? You know, was it my fault? Like I immediately start going into like trying to, trying to like problem solve or, you know, figure out what the hell happened, you know? Um, and of course I don't know. Cause it happened when I had my back to him. All I saw was, you know, after he slipped and he was sliding off the edge. Um, and I still don't know. I'll never know. Uh, all I know is that there's a little tiny bit of ice down there that he could have slipped on, but he could have very well just even tripped. He could have uh, gotten a little dizzy and and just stepped back. Like, I don't know. I have no idea. But my mind is sitting there, and I realized that I immediately started going into this, like, I started to to place blame on myself. I immediately started being like, if I had stopped... Because as I was climbing up the crack, this thought came to me and like to check in on him, you know, I was like, no, like the thought, I just kind of dismissed it. I was like, no, he's, he's done this 12 times. Like he knows, like there's nowhere else to go anyways. Like clearly this is, and they have little like spray painted little emblems on the rock itself to kind of show you the path. Right. So, but I remember very quickly within 30 seconds, like literally 30 to 60 seconds of sitting there once I was able to like and I talked to Riley and I was sitting with my thoughts, I realized that my, my mind started seeking a, uh, an answer that was blaming myself. And I remember catching myself right then and there and being like, no, Johnny, like 
Do not go down that road because that is a very slippery slope, no pun intended. That if you start blaming yourself for something like that, you know, like this could very well turn into a PTSD situation where I never forgive myself and it it shows up in some type of, you know, addiction, right? Where I'm just trying to numb away the pain of what what could I have done to have saved his life, right? And I literally had to just choose in that moment, listen, this may not ever make sense to me, but that I have to believe that he's in God's care. And if you're not a believer, that's totally cool. You know, whether it be the universe, mother nature, whatever you want to believe. But in my belief, he, he passed doing what he loved. He's in God's care. Um, and that accidents happen. Like, my mom passed away from cancer, but she could have been hit by a bus, right? Um, I could be hit by a bus. Like, accidents just happen. And they're not, it's not fair. It's shitty. But they just happen. And so, I guess, you know, to kind of round up the story, like, ultimately, you know, of course, he he never moves. He he was, he had passed away. And um, another woman had showed up on the scene who was also very, very... uh, well-trained, um, we're friends on Facebook and Lisa, man, she just took charge. She, she was trained in like mountain rescue. She only had like a hundred feet of rope. So there was no real way that we could get down to him just to even check on him. Um, and so I waited for about an hour and a half. And at this point it's what, like getting close to noon and you can start seeing some weather moving in. And in, in Colorado, the, the weather usually comes in in the afternoons, and you do not want to get caught up in elevation when weather comes in. Because um, I know people that have been killed from lightning strikes and hypothermia and, um, you know, and everything else. It's, it can just, it's, like I said, there's no room for error. So ultimately, Lisa's like, listen, um, I don't think there's anything else we can do. You know, had he moved or, you know, if there's any type of response, you know, I would do everything I can to get down there, but I really don't think it looks good for him. You know, we sent, you know, we've called the mountain rescue division and they're doing what they can, you know, they'll be here when they can listen, like you got to go at this point, your safety is paramount and you got to get down. And like I had another, you know, a seven hour hike in front of me just to get down. No, not seven hours. Well, yeah, I guess it was. Because um, it was about, no, it was about 1130 at that point. So anyways, Riley decides to to come with me and I tell him like, he's like, what can I do for you? I'm like, I don't know. Just just talk to me as much as you can and get my mind off of this. Let's just talk about anything but what just happened. Like my brain, every time my brain went to it, like I started feeling faint. I just couldn't, like I was going into shock again each time I think about it. So he was he was an angel. He hung out with me all the way down. Lisa stayed. Um, she stayed for hours, hours and hours and hours. The hard part was leaving. It's kind of like, you know, it's like, I mean, Scott and I were were buds. It's not like we were super close, but we were certainly, you know, close enough friends. But it's like, it's even just like, if you go, I I would imagine I've never been on the front lines of any type of war in Afghanistan or Iraq, but like, you know, you just don't want to lose or leave your buddy behind, you know, like that's just, you don't do that. But there was nothing I could do. 
She's like, don't worry, we'll get them. Um, you just got that, got to take care of yourself. So, man, getting back home down was was super treacherous. As you can imagine, like I was, of course, now like freaked out. I was hyper focused on everything, and every single slip of my own or of of Riley's was like, gosh, it just was like major, majorly triggering. So we get down, and just as we're like. I can literally see the parking lot. I'm walking out like two, <clears throat> two rangers are making their way up the trail. And uh, they're like, neither one of you happened to be Johnny King, are you? I was like, yeah, actually I am. They're like, oh gosh, okay. So they brought me back down into the ranger station, which there was another ranger, um, a police officer, another female, uh, kind of like she's the family liaison. And ultimately they like got us some food and, you know, um, but they ultimately, you know, took our stories, which checked out, of course. Um, and you know, I think they're, you know, as they said, like, unfortunately this happens, especially on Long's peak, like multiple times a season, they have fatalities all the time because it's just, it is so treacherous and it's so exposed. Um, so that was, that was great because one of the thoughts that was coming on through my mind walking down, you know, that mountain that day was like, I was putting the onus on me. Like I was going to just get in my car and have to drive straight to Scott's wife's house to tell her and his grown children, uh, his three children, like what had happened. But she was, uh, the family liaison was like, no, you know, please don't worry about that. We take care of all that. We'll be in touch with the family. You just get home, try to get some sleep, get some food, rest. You know, it's going to be a tough you know, a couple of days or a couple of weeks for you. So, which it certainly was. Um, but there's something to be said about, uh, you know, I was putting all of my trust in him, you know, and I learned a valuable lesson, which was like, yes, that's okay. But like, man, I was taking the mountain and that whole thing a little too cavalier, a little too nonchalantly, um, from the standpoint of like, yeah, well, I've got my guide here, you know, my outdoor guide and my buddy Scott, but without Scott then, and if I hadn't have had Riley and Lisa there to back me up, uh, that would have been a lot more challenging, even a lot more challenging, just, just from a mental, mental standpoint. I mean, I knew how to get down and stuff like that and where the trail went, but, um, Man, that was a tough, tough day. And the reason why I tell you the story is not to just relive the story. Um, and I and I want to be respectful to Scott's family even to this day. Um, but it is a story that, you know, of course affects me to this very moment. And I still am working through just, you know, being triggered whenever I'm up uh, hiking in the mountains. But I'm working to working to work through it. But I do feel like whether you're listening to this and know of anyone that's that's been through tragedy or has any type of PTSD, you know, a big part of that for me of the healing side of it was just talking about it, was sharing my story and my experience and to not make it right or wrong, um, but just to have people to empathetically listen and to give their support. And uh, that that was hugely healing for me. But then honestly, you know, I had to process it on my own. Um, I didn't end up seeking any type of professional 
support, but I probably would have if I had acknowledged that I had created a victim story about it. If I had decided to play below the line and I made it all about me, like I should have done this, I should have done that. And you know what? Like there's nothing I could have done, you know, like we were both like that very well could have been me just as easily as that could have been him. Cause all, all it took in that area of the mountain was just one bad step, one slip. And, and we know the repercussions of it. So, but, uh, yeah, I think what, what I'm ultimately, the point that I'm getting to ultimately throughout this whole story is that you have to be extremely, extremely intentional and careful of the story that you tell yourself. And a lot of times just accepting a story that it was an accident is like one of the harder stories to accept because you have to kind of surrender to the randomness and the unfairness of life, right? One of my previous episodes, I talked about um, Byron Katie, and uh, one of the one of the books that really really helped me throughout this too was the book that uh, that I mentioned uh, that she wrote that's called Loving What Is, and in it that she has four questions. Um, the first question is: Is this thought true? Like, is it true that it was my fault or that I could have done something to prevent? his death. I'm like, mm, no, that's not true. Like, uh, can I be absolutely sure of its truth? Like, could I have been absolutely sure that if I had even said something or waited for him or like any time throughout that entire, you know, journey, especially in those last couple of hours as you're getting closer to the summer, there, there's really, like I said, no room for error that any of that could have happened to either one of us. Um, and then the third question is, how does this thought make you react? Well, if I were to place blame on myself, it'd make me feel hugely ashamed, hugely in pain. Like, I, I don't know if I could live with myself, you know? Um, and I can understand when people have gone through that, those type of tragedies, or have lost a buddy, um, you know, male or female, but lost a buddy and don't know how to process it, and then turn it into a, a story of them being uh, the victim and, and they had the power to keep, you know, a, a death from happening. Or even if that is true, that maybe you could have done something to prevent someone's death, you know, ultimately being in resistance to the fact that someone passed away or a, or a tragedy happened, like you cannot erase facts and events, correct? But what you do have control over is the meaning and the story that you, that you ultimately create in your brain about it, right? And then the very fourth, the fourth question would be, without this thought, who would you be? And so without the thought of, oh, you know, was his passing my fault, it allows me to, uh, to be there for his family more, to be empathetic, to be a kinder, more gentle, uh, compassionate, understanding man, right? And to know that there are a lot of times and the longer you live, I have a, I have a sneaky feeling that you will find yourself in a place where <clears throat> the unfairness of life hits you um, hard and a lot of times it can't be explained away. So anyways, thank you for 
for sharing for kind of sticking with me on this little bit longer episode as I share this episode uh, this this kind of experience of mine. But know too that if you've gone through some some shitty things in life, um, whether you know it happened to you or to someone else that you know, but it still really affects you, just know that my door is always open. Um, always happy to to support you in any way that I can. Um, and I hope even just with this podcast episode that it supports you. Um, like I said, it's not something that I take uh, nonchalantly. And if anything, I have a deep, deep, uh, profound respect, even more so than I did for Mother Nature, for being up in elevation, for being in the outdoors. Um, you know, I've hiked in the Tetons with my little sister and we've been, you know, in very, within 15 yards of grizzly bears. Um, were they grizzlies? Black bears. They're black bears. And uh, like things can change in a heartbeat, especially when you're out in mother nature. If you're just going out to grocery shop, you know, like there's certain things that are out of your control and there's certain things that are within your control. You have to take control of what goes on between your ears. That's the only thing that you really have control over, which is what you focus on. Because what you focus on, <laughs> your mind will ultimately believe whether it's true or not. And that can literally change the trajectory of your life between the victim or the victor. So, yeah, would love to hear any thoughts that you have about this, if this is uh, anything that resonates. Um, but I really appreciate you hanging in there with me. God bless you. Take care. We'll catch up with you on the next episode. Thanks. And that's our show for today. I want to thank you so much for listening. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, I'd be honored if you'd share it on your favorite social platform. It also really helps to get the word out if you subscribe and leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Something you think we could be doing better? I love constructive feedback as it's always welcome. And please feel free to email me at podcast at johnnyking.com with any questions or concerns. I'm also available on Instagram at Johnny King or on Facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been awesome. And we'll catch up with you next time. Peace.